everyone. This is Lisa DeLay. You are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast, and this is Soul School Lesson 165, Keeping the World Mad. On Spark My Muse and on Soul School, I like to add to your life. In particular at this time, I want to add value, encouragement, and something that is alternative to what's happening in the world right now, which is a lot of madness, which is a lot of unsettling news, distress, stories that make us confused and upset and feel isolated and hopeless. What I want to do is accompany you during this time and add something more, something to hold on to, something that will be evergreen when you hear this, whether it's this week, in two years, or whenever, that brings some peace to your soul and some sustenance for your soul. And by soul, I mean the whole being of you, the whole organism of you, the embodied part, the part that is unseen in your inner world, and the part that takes you into the future, where your aims and desires are, and how you can contribute to a better world. Today, I'm going to be talking about something called cognitive distortions and cognitive dissonance. Before you think this is too heady of a subject, let me tell you that we participate in cognitive distortions and dissonance all the time, and we swim in the stuff. People use it to keep us manipulated and to put forth their agendas and introduce us to their politics and ways of thinking. And we don't have to play a part in collective distortions. But in order to not do that, we need to not swim in a soup of cognitive distortions. So what are they? Do you have them? Do you see them often? I'm going to go into what they are and how to avoid swimming in them all the time and how to come out of our time of chaos and distortions with more reserves for the long haul, which is how we have to start thinking. We can't be thinking in emergency mode for months and months and months on end. It just doesn't work. It's much too stressful to carry around this mentality it's much too stressful to swim in cognitive dissonance because it puts us in a hypervigilant state, which is only supposed to work for short bursts of time. The human body cannot put up with hypervigilance as a regular state of being. I will put links to the information I'm sharing in the show notes. As you read the show notes at patreon.com forward slash sparkmymuse for this episode, Soul School 165. Just contribute any amount from a dollar on up. That helps to support my work and pay for what it takes to keep this production running every single week. Why do so many people have cognitive distortion and what is it? Cognitive distortions are simple ways that our mind convinces us of something that really isn't true. Our mind is good at finding patterns and making meaning of those patterns, but it doesn't mean that we are always correct about what we assume and the conclusions that we come to. Our negative thinking or emotions can be reinforced with negative thoughts, and we can tell ourselves things that sound rational and accurate, but they will often serve to keep us in a bad frame of mind or have bad emotions and feelings about ourselves and about our world. In 1976, psychologist Aaron Beck first proposed the theory behind cognitive distortions. And in the 1980s, David Burns was responsible for popularizing this with common names and examples for these distortions. I'm going to share a bunch of them with you so that you can see them in yourself and you can see how common they are on social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter especially. 
When you see these cognitive distortions popping out, realize just how much you are swimming in this soup, this culture of cognitive distortions. It can be very dangerous to us emotionally, mentally, and for our mental health. It's especially dangerous, I think, for people who've only ever been exposed to a time where social media exists. I'm talking about a younger generation of teens and 20-year-olds who don't have anything else as a reference point to reference their lives. In their mind, what they see and read in the news and on social media is the truth when it's only seeing through a certain facet of reality. Reality is more like a cut gem where we can see through one facet, turn it, see through another facet, and so on and so on. So for instance, say you go camping for two weeks and you go out in nature with your friends or your family and you experience a really lovely time. You hardly ever notice anything that's happening in the greater world. To you, everything's different and that's your reality. Now you come back, let's say, in your hometown, there's been riots then you'll experience a completely different reality. Which reality was true? Both of them were true, but you were only perceiving one at a time. If you perceived only one, you could have cognitive dissonance that both realities are possible at the same time. To think only one reality is the absolute reality is to be deceived and tricked in our minds. When we are reading extremely emotionally based news, it doesn't mean that it's not true in someone's mind. It means that it's not the only thing that's true. And we have to have a way to creatively hold the tension and the stress of what's happening in people who are stressed out right now and traumatized with the same reality that there are pieces and parts of our world that are going along as if nothing bad is happening at all. If you go and take a walk on the beach or in the forest, Nothing has changed at all for a hundred years. And that is also a true reality. We can find more peace aligning ourselves with the things that soothe our souls and calm us down to help us see long-term along the lines of deeper time. The kind of time that it takes a redwood tree to grow into a young redwood tree, which is to say 800 years or so. 800 years is many, many of our lifetimes. But for a redwood tree, that's a young redwood tree. When we start beginning to think in longer, deeper time, the time of nature, the time of canyons and mountains, we realize that the hypervigilance over our day-to-day -day human lives needs to nest into these deeper understandings of time. And we need to settle into the trust and the faith that comes with understanding bigger ideas of reality. Here are some of the more common cognitive distortions that we find ourselves thinking. Polarized thinking, which is black or white thinking. We can think in either or categories without any shades of gray, allowing for nuance or complexity that most people and most situations are actually in. Things are either horrible and going to end in doom and destruction, or they're going to be wonderful and fine. That is almost never true. You rarely find an either-or polarized situation in reality, in true life. Jumping to conclusions is another cognitive distortion. A person might think they know exactly what they're feeling. They might assume they can determine what other people are feeling. And they can jump to those conclusions as if they're able to fortune tell or mind read and understand what another person is feeling and make these assumptions. You may conclude someone holds a certain belief 
political ideology or a grudge, but not actually have a conversation to know if you are truly correct. You may predict that something will turn out badly and jump to a conclusion when you have no evidence to support that. Catastrophizing is one thing we see in our times a lot. We assume that if X, Y, or Z happens, a catastrophe is imminent. In fact, we might hear reports of catastrophe happening, but those catastrophes, as they might be called, might be much, much smaller than the reports and the emotion of those reports might be indicating. The point of catastrophizing in the news cycle is to get clicks. The point of catastrophizing things like uprisings and riots are a profit motive. What we see sometimes when we see rioting and we see violence on television is a close-up shot of a few dozen people or maybe a few hundred people. But what we don't understand is that that close-up zoomed-in shot is not showing the hundreds and thousands or even millions of people that stayed home and do not want to be violent and do not want to burn things down and do not get arrested. We don't see the people who aren't contributing to the melee. While protests may be warranted, may be needed for change, when we catastrophize, we assume that the worst is happening right now. And in reality, the worst is not happening at all. A small number of people are involved in something very difficult and traumatic, and they're suffering. But when you take that percentage and put it against the whole, it's a minuscule amount. It's also a minuscule amount of people who are dying of the COVID-19 pandemic. If you take the number of people who have died, which is a tremendously horrible thing, but you compare the amount of dead people from COVID-19 to the amount of people in the world, it is a tiny, minuscule amount. You can't tell that to someone who's suffered a death and a loss of someone irreplaceable in their life. I'm not trying at all to minimize the grief and the suffering. I've lost people close to me in my life, and I know that there is no replacing them. There is no way to patch up that hurt and just simply move on. But in terms of catastrophizing, we can't assume that what we're calling a pandemic is actually taking out a large percentage of the world's population. It is taking out a tiny, tiny fraction of the world's population. Personalization is another form of cognitive distortion. We assume that people are doing things personally and we take it that way. Instead of thinking that people probably aren't thinking about you at all and haven't had you on their mind, we think the things they say and do have some sort of tie to us. It's actually a very childlike mentality and it's very common for children around three or four years old to think that different things that happened in the world have something personally to do with them. And we need to protect children from this automatic thinking that happens for them because it is a terrible stress for them to think that. A person engaging in personalization may see themselves as the cause of some unhealthy external event that they weren't responsible for. For instance, if you were late to an event, maybe it caused everybody to have a terrible time. It's taking too much responsibility for something, and that's a cognitive distortion. The fallacy of fairness is another one. If we assume that life should be fair or that we're not getting our fair shake and we ought to get our fair shake, we are assuming that life works differently than it actually does. Life is not fair and life will not be fair. We can go about trying to make things fair for other people and trying to make things fair for ourselves. But if we get wound up and upset that somehow life isn't fair and it should be, we are living with a strange distortion about the reality that we're living in. We can't stay angry and resentful 
about how life actually is. We need to be in touch with reality as it is, even though we can work to make things more equitable for everybody. Blaming is another cognitive distortion. When we engage in blaming, we hold other people responsible for our emotional pain. We might blame ourselves for every problem when it's clearly outside of our control as well. We can say someone made us feel bad, or we might assume that we are responsible for other people's feelings. Everybody is responsible for their own feelings. We can do our best to be kind and considerate, but ultimately, it is up to each person how they're going to respond and react. It is up to us how we're going to emotionally respond and if we're going to carry around grudges and hurt feelings, not move past our pain and our trauma. We can't be holding on to blame. What it is is a cognitive distortion of how we can encounter reality. Emotional reasoning is another very common cognitive distortion. It relies on our emotional reasoning and decides that if we feel a certain way, then it must be true. Emotions can be very strong in us. They can overrule some of our thoughts and reasoning and the facts at hand. Just because we feel something very deeply, or we might feel it because of our past experiences, it doesn't mean that they're true. We have to validate the truth of our feelings against many other things, and sometimes we need to simply wait them out. We might feel differently in a week. Just because we feel something very deeply doesn't mean it's true or that we should take or that we should necessarily take actions and make important decisions based on these emotions without getting some help or validation if these are big decisions. The fallacy of change is a very interesting one. A person expects that another person will change to suit them if they're pressured or coaxed into it. This is often found in relationships when we expect that people will adjust to our preferences and that they should want to make us happy by changing. This cognitive distortion, this is a self-centered cognitive distortion that sees the world in a certain way that other people should adjust to our happiness. What we have to understand about reality is that we have to make the adjustments. And if we're not happy, that is our responsibility. We can either accept it or we can make changes in ourselves to make our lives better. But we might not always be happy and that's not guaranteed. Some people have the most miserable lives you could imagine, and they choose to have joy despite that. Some people have lives we would only dream of. They have everything they could ever want, and yet they're the most miserable people, and that is because they're choosing that. They might have had trauma, they might have had horrible experiences, and they've carried that pain and that weight. Or they might be so disappointed, everything they've wanted, they've gotten, and it hasn't made any difference to make them happier. Ultimately, the person must discover what makes them happy is not what they have or what they want to have, but that they have to be happy first. And coming to reality without that dissonance is what will lead them to happiness in a more sturdy way. Justification and moral licensing. If you've made progress toward a goal, you will feel that it is okay to act in a way that is inconsistent with it. This is a cognitive dissonance that is far too common. It happens more than we think. We give ourselves license more than we think. If we are behaving ourselves in one category, we might give ourselves a little license in another category to escape the rules we would like applied to everybody else. Learning about this one is particularly insightful. Belief that self-criticism is an effective way to motivate yourself toward a better future. It is not. This is cognitive dissonance. If you criticize yourself, you won't be motivated to change your life toward a better future. You'll be discouraged. It usually doesn't help anybody else either. Once you criticize them and make a point of pointing out the bad things about them, they don't feel motivated. They feel down on themselves. The same goes for you. 
all-or-nothing thinking. For instance, if I don't complete this test on time, it wasn't worth taking. Or if I don't get all A's, I'm a total failure. Sometimes we'll lock ourselves into this mode of thinking. By doing this, we dismiss all the experience and learning we've had along the way. Anytime we do an all-or-nothing or polarized thinking or all-good, all-bad, scenarios in cognition, we become very dismissive and lose our ability to learn and get better. This can really hurt our decision-making process. Shoulds and musts are another way cognitive dissonance comes into play. Sometimes we feel like a total failure when we start using shoulds and musts in the way we think about motivation. I should have done this, or I must do this, or it's not acceptable at all, or other people should and must do this, or it's completely unacceptable. Their lives are just completely unacceptable. Magnifying. One example of magnifying is blowing your own mistakes and flaws out of proportion and perceiving them as more significant than they are. Magnifying is making a mountain out of a molehill, but not quite to the same extent as catastrophizing. And this can happen the other way too, magnifying other people's mistakes instead of your own, especially if they're in positions of leadership, because of course they should be an example, but everybody is a human being. And just because they're put in a position of leadership doesn't mean they automatically become more capable immediately of doing a much better job than you would. Assumed similarity is the tendency to assume other people hold similar attitudes to your own. This is an extremely common cognitive dissonance because we see things from our own perspective, our own eyes, if you will. Because we are self-centered as human beings, we assume yeah, pretty much everybody thinks like I do. An assumption that is just simply not true to reality. People might have similar attitudes with certain things, but if we don't ask and inquire and are curious about those things, we'll just never know. And likely our attitudes diverge. And sometimes when we find that they diverge, we feel a little bit betrayed because it didn't line up with what we assumed. In-group bias relates to this. It's a tendency to trust and value people who are like you and who are in your circle more than people who are from different backgrounds and different groups because they're unknown to us. This tends to get us into tribes and then fear the other people and other them and be prejudiced against them. There are 50 of these really interesting cognitive distortions that I will link to from the show notes, and I hope you go and check them all out. And the final one that I'll bring up is, I can't change my behavior. Instead of telling yourself that you can't change behavior, ask yourself how you could shift it a little bit. We tend to think that we do what we do, and that's just how we are. But we can make shifts. I've spent years of my life studying and working on spiritual formation. And spiritual formation assumes that change is possible. And I've seen change be possible. It happens through habits and disciplines, training, practice. It happens through intention, community, and a willing spirit. And for me, it happens through a consent to the Holy Spirit in my life. One more thing before I go. I hope you might be interested in pre-ordering my book, The Wild Land Within, which talks about all these unseen places within our inner terrain and landscape. The unseen places where we have motivations, desires, dreams, ambitions, trauma, memories, and experiences that made us who we are and who we will be. You can find out more information about my book at tiny.cc forward slash wildland. I hope you give it a look and pre-order it. It'll be released in April. 
I thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll go to sparkmymuse.com for related links, many more episodes. There's usually only 100 listed on Apple iTunes, but there's close to 350 at the website. If you'd like to reach out, go ahead and email me, contact at sparkmymuse.com. I'd love to reply to your questions and help out in any way I can. May your week be blessed. I'll be here next week with a guest. <laughs>